Welcome to my mom's podcast. You're listening to the Early Childhood Journeys podcast, where we chat with educators, community members, and advocates of early childhood alike through candid and real conversations, focusing on the person behind the practice, along with some tips and strategies as well. I'm your host, Marisa. Okay, and we are back for another Early Childhood Journeys podcast episode. Um, Today, I'm actually at the Social and Emotional Early Childhood Conference. That's actually the first one that's been brought on um, by the Department of Education's Early Childhood Unit, and it's a multi-level multi-agency um, conference in collaboration with City of Phoenix, Head Start, and I think Southwest Human Development. Um, so in this conference, this is day two, I always connect and uh, run into certain colleagues from the state, and I'm lucky enough today where I have my colleague Erica with us today. So welcome, Erica. Hello, Marisa. I asked Erica to come on the podcast. We're gonna do the Spanish or one at another point, but right now I wanted to get you on the English uh, podcast because I wanna talk about just a little bit about what the work that you do because you actually cover a really large region. You work at the Department of Ed. Okay, so you go. Tell us what tell us what your role is with the Department of Ed. So my role is early childhood education program specialist at the Department of Education, Early Childhood Education Unit. We're also the Head Start Collaboration Office for the state. So what regions do you cover in Arizona? I monitor Yuma County, La Paz County, and Mojave County, and recently just a little bit of Maricopa. So that includes Gila Bend, Paloma, and Sentinel. So for some of those folks that don't know early childhood, like this, this certain department, what would you say is kind of like a misconception of the work that you do? I think a lot of people believe that we're only working with preschoolers, three, fours, and fives. And the truth is we're working with and supporting the professionals in the field, zero to eight years old. Another misconception when we say that is, oh, so you are exclusively K through third, well, no, um, we do have, there's another unit in at the State Department of Ed, uh, the K-12 standards. So many times, depending on what the situation is, we definitely want to be able to support, provide the technical assistance or resources. And sometimes we have to call in our partners from another unit to be able to support the programs or districts with whatever situation it is. Yeah. And because you're based, where are you based at so I'm based out of Yuma. Yeah. I get I telecommute. I telecommute from Yuma. Uh, however, I do come up to Phoenix quite a bit at a minimum once a month. Sometimes it's several times a month. Um, again, remembering that I am serving the western part of the state. So if you think of our state and you think of that natural boundary, the Colorado River, mm-hmm. that's basically um, everything along the river is what I'm doing. So many times we're traveling to other parts. Um, one thing I didn't share with you all was we also partner and collaborate with our colleagues with exceptional student services. So the special ed unit at the Department of Ed. Uh, We monitor for the preschool IDEA portion of 
So IDEA, IDEA, oh, okay, is okay, okay, yeah. the, the federal law, Individual yes. Disabilities Education Act. Yes. So the preschool portion, um, school districts and charters, they can apply for monies that have been allocated for them. And that's all census data and numbers. That's how they figure out those formulas. Um, but the preschool portion is what we monitor. Now, I want to make sure and mention that you're also, I think, are you one of the only bilingual specialist for the department? So at this time, um, we have a contracted employee with us. So she's a contractor. She's also bilingual. Um, but as part of the regular staff, you are, I think right? at this point, I'm the only one. Yeah, as a program specialist. We also have another partner in the office, Juliana. That's she's right. bilingual too, and her focus is the fiscal piece. That's right. Um, I think that's important to mention because our state is highly representative of Latino yeah. families, um, especially in your region yep. specifically. I know that you do professional development trainings at various conferences, workshops. Um, what are some typical topics that you cover in those when you get asked to do those, those professional development? Okay. So a very popular one is many of the programs who are in the quality first system because of their point scale and assessment cycles coming up, they must have um, some PD. And this is PD offered by the Department of Ed. So we do offer some webinars. Those are available um, on the events management system. And people can sign up and take those webinars for free. Uh, then we have four-hour modules. So when, if you're familiar with the standards, the Arizona Early Learning Standards, or AZELS, as we refer to, there are eight standards for early childhood and we have a module for each one of those and that's a four-hour module when we think about infant and toddler developmental guidelines same thing except there we have five guidelines um, also offering a four-hour module for each of those okay. um, so those are popular and you know frequently requested right now the hot topic is the revision of the azels so we've just completed the, the revision yeah. yep of the standards the early learning standards for our state we've uh, revised and realigned those so we have rolled them out and yesterday was the first time that people got to get um, their hands on a brand new shiny manual very cool yes okay. so that's a hot topic and we've been getting a lot of questions for that um, and is that, that information is available on the website, on the Department of Ed's website, right? Yes. Yeah, so when you go to the Department of Ed website, azed.gov, that's our main page. And then you can search by programs, alphabetical order E for early childhood, or um, azed.gov forward slash ECE. That takes you to the early childhood education page. Perfect, because I know that some of our listeners are not in the early childhood field, but they're stakeholders, policymakers, parents. Absolutely. So that they are aware that we do have early learning standards yes. for kids. Yes, we do. Yeah. Yes, we do. So you have that guideline um, that you can look at. Um, okay, now, enough of the work stuff. I want to actually talk a little bit personal with you because I know, um, like, how did you even start in this field? Like, do you remember your first position or job that was related to children or families? Oh my goodness, you're taking me back. I have to go there. You're taking me back all <laughs> the way back to the black and white photos. Because <laughs> somebody, everybody has a journey, right, in, with these, with this field. And I want to just kind of go back and just reflect, like, where did you start? 
Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take off. It was geez, 19, 1992, I want to say. What what was it? What was the position? So my position was social service worker, and I was working for the King City Migrant CDC in King City, California, located um, within the community of migrant farm workers living in subsidized housing by the Housing Authority of Monterey County. So this is taking us back to the Salinas Valley. Yeah. My old stomping grounds, King City is where I graduated high school. And I think this yeah. is, I wanted to also connect with you because right now this is going to air out during Hispanic and Latino Heritage Month. So I think it's only, you know, natural that I get Erica on. Um, so, because I know that you have a really strong background with our migrant community yeah. when you first started working. Oh my goodness. So I'm having a flood of emotions and flashbacks oh right now as gosh. you're telling me. I have, I'm having pictures and faces and all these things going across my little head here, my forehead. What was one of the po uh, more positive memories that you can share about that Oh experience? my goodness, the families. I mean, I'm thinking of, of the families. I'm thinking of one family in particular who... It was a very large family. There was like 15 members in that family. And housing there was so small. Like we lived um, in the housing unit. So a little bit before I, I move on with that, um, at the time my husband was in harvesting. So yeah. we were a migrant family. So we moved from Salinas to Yuma. And um, oh my goodness, this I mean, there's just so much more to this. There's so many layers that I start pulling back the layers. But at the time... <laughs> Bef right before this job, um, I had actually, so no, I need, I need to forward, it was 1994, because I had just had my second child, 1994, and I had originally said 92, so I, I correct myself. Um, I had, my second child had just been born, Cassandra, uh, she was born February 94 in Yuma. So we were getting ready to go back to Salinas, to go wow. back north, and because of the work that my husband did, he would usually go before us. And many times they would stop in Huron. So for those migrant people, los campesinos, mm -hmm. um, you guys are familiar with that route. Yeah. So that was not a family-friendly place. No. So sometimes we would stay back. He would move on to Huron. Um, my children were in preschool. So they weren't in the K-12 system yet. Wow. So it was still flexible for us to be able to move out whenever um, we needed to, to move on and yeah. continue our journey yeah. for uh, the season. So that year I told my husband, I said, I want to work. This year I want to work. And if you're familiar... Not, like, not, not that you weren't working because you had your kids. I had the kids at home. But I wanted money. I wanted my own <laughs> paycheck. I wanted my own paycheck. You know, I wanted my spending money. I wanted to be able to run to the mall on the weekends and get whatever it was I wanted for my children. Yeah. You know, or upgrade the stroller or get a new little set for their crib, whatever it was. So that year he said, no, you don't need to work. And I said, I really want to. Long story short, um, he told me who I needed to talk to at one of the uh, packing companies. So back then it was a, a company, it was a sister agency or sister business of who he worked with. I had my interview in Yuma um, and they said, okay, you're hired. Your first day is, you know, whatever day of the yeah. month of April or May, can't remember exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, we move up to Salinas and I was a quality control inspector. 
for one of the salad packing companies and this is 1994 and I was making like $10 and 15 cents an hour so that was big money yeah but I was also working the night shift okay so because you work the night shift you get a little extra incentive yeah Um, during the same time we had applied for housing migrant housing that was the first year we ever applied for migrant housing in the past we were able to manage with friends and you know this and that but as I said earlier our second child was born so now it's a family of four and we really just wanted our own little place so thank God you know everything worked out and as he always does for us Mm -hmm. and uh, we were able to get housing at the same time um, this whole salad packing thing at night in the empaque was not what I thought it was going to be. It was hard work. (laughs) It was hard work. So I was basically working from like 4 or 5 p.m. till 4 in the morning. So it was a long, it was a long thing, you know, and I'm, I'm driving from Greenfield, California to Salinas. So that's a little commute. Um, I'm breastfeeding my baby who's like three months old. I'm working in temperatures that are 38 degrees because, you know, and I think you know, let me just jump in there yeah. because I just read a, a statistic of our migrant communities, our families, and I believe the majority of them are women. They're females, and most likely they are moms. So, for those folks that are listening to us, I just I thought that was important to mention too because um, you know, not just because it's Hispanic Heritage Month, but if you are in those communities where you're you're providing some type of childcare or family service, especially for Arizona, you might be dealing with these types of family dynamics, this type of this type of occupation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and Yuma, you yeah. know, that's one of our biggest, biggest uh, factors for the economy. That's a big economy driver in Yuma, believe it or not. You yes. know, it, it is. It's agriculture, it's military and it's tourism, believe it or not. Yeah. As many people think of Yuma as, you know, the the pit stop on their way to San Diego but we're a lot more than just that yeah so yeah um but back to to the job yes I was looking for an, another job because you know it had become difficult you know I, I was I was young I was a young mom and I really didn't know what I had gotten myself into so again you know thank God I was able to get that position no idea that it was connected to the housing because I answered an ad in the newspaper now, this was before, way before yeah. Craigslist and Facebook. So we yeah. did use the newspaper. So that's how I answered that ad. Again, no idea that it was um, connected to housing where we were living. So I applied for the position. I got the job. No clue of anything about early childhood education. <laughs> At that point in my life, my ambition, my I mean, I would have made it in the world if I could have been a manager at a fast food restaurant. That's what I was shooting for, to be honest with you, at wow. that time. Wow. Because, you know, it would be security. It'd be, you know, decent right. pay, yeah. health insurance. Right. Stability. That's what I wanted. Because, you know, some of my friends in high school had had that opportunity. Yeah. You know, and they had a car. And I was like, hey, you know, that's what I want. Um, you know, as George Lopez says, you know, I, I won't say the word, but it's, you know, oh, look at her. Bien. Beep, beep. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, that's what I aspire to. So, you know, we did the migrant thing and housing for the migrant families was open uh, six months out of the year. Mm. So families could um, live there from June to the end of November, five months. Uh, staff for the CDC would come in the month of May. Because we're, you know, unpacking, disinfecting, getting everything organized, 
professional development. So I'm so thankful for that opportunity and for that company. Um, again, the, the center was King City Migrant CDC, but the company was CDI CDC, Child Development Incorporated, Child Development yes, Centers out of Campbell, out of Campbell, wow. California, the Silicon Valley. Um, excellent program, NIAC accredited. Of course, all of that stuff didn't mean anything to me no, back you then. I just wanted to get going yeah so i mean here i go from working in the empaque 38 degrees a night with multiple layers salad packing yep to an office with a fax machine and a typewriter so you know i had made it big time oh yeah (laughs) fancy that that's the word i think we even had cordless phones at the time so yeah we were fancy yep so that's how i got started in early childhood yeah we were there for six seasons um and we stayed till november when it closed and school, college was not even on my list on of things radar. to do or anything I aspired to because no one in my family had gone to college. So that wasn't something that we did. Right. You know? Right. Um, but then again, the, the ladies, they influence you, your coworkers. And um, that's how we started with that. You know, oh, I need to take this class. And oh, now the state is asking that we have these 12 credits to get a little certificate saying that we're preschool teachers. So that's kind of what um, kicked it off for us. That was a little precursor wow. to many years of school and universities and, and here and now. There. So yes, that's that was my first first opportunity that I had. So just to close this up, I mean that is just, I I want to hear so much more about that about your experience, um, that transition from working in the migrant you know industry, that lifestyle that that life to what you're doing now connecting with our community connecting with those in the early childhood sector and i'm sure outside of that sector too policy holders you know those outside making decisions um, for children and families tell me what would be a tip for someone that is starting out perhaps think about a younger you or someone that is in that place in their life where they're either going to go into continue going through the early childhood route or maybe doing a left turn of something else. And there's some real, um, it's promising. Like for me, it's how do we keep these folks, these good early childhood folks in the field? Because unfortunately we know that they are leaving, right? What would be a tip, some advice for that person that's listening? Oh my goodness, I think of two things. Um, The first one is school can be hard and it's a long journey. So my best piece of advice to you is at a minimum, if you can do one class per semester, if that's what you can afford, then you do one class a semester. You know, because that that would be another episode, you know, what school Mm -hmm. was like. Mm -hmm. And that was difficult because if our season ended in November, but the semester wasn't over to December, but my husband was back in Yuma and I was still taking classes at Hartnell College in Salinas. I had to wait. Yeah. I had to wait for my semester to be over before I came back to Yuma. So that was difficult, but we did it. Close to 10 years to complete an associate's degree, but yeah. we got it. So that that's that's what I say. Don't put it off. Yeah. You know, if you can afford one class. Progress is progress, I always say. You know, and there's no shame in that. Mm-mm. You do what you need to do. Um, so that's one. The other one is I, I left early childhood just for a little bit, 
just just for a little bit about five years I went to go work for a, a nonprofit and actually um, it was the Girl Scouts so the Girl Scouts of the Arizona Cactus Pine Council here in Phoenix so again this was another opportunity mm -hmm. out of Yuma uh, telecommuting um, so that's kind of what kicked me off into being Ovaga so you know here we go you know hitting the other communities and La Paz County was part of my uh, region at the time as well so I, I left um, education for a little bit but that also was a blessing um, it was a beautiful experience to work for the Girl Scouts because I had been a Girl Scout wow. as a young girl wow. second grade to eighth grade so um, you know a little period there but in the Girl Scouts we would do outreach at the juvenile detention center in Yuma oh, wow. this was back in the Two thousand to two thousand or two thousand five, approximately those years, and going into the juvenile detention center is where I discovered learning disabilities. So you don't know what you don't know, and my, you know, that piece of ignorance for me at the time was, oh, a disability, you must look a certain way to have a disability, or you have to be in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. So back at the time, that's how that's I defined it because that's all I knew. There was so much I didn't know, and I'm in the pod with the girls doing whatever it was we were doing I think it was like journaling or life skills and you know they couldn't read and they couldn't write and I'm like come on girl you're 16 what do you mean you can't finish this sentence what do you mean you don't know how to spell this word and I wasn't making the connections because I didn't know later come to find out that's a learning disability so then that sparked an interest in special ed Wow. Which then took me on the journey to, you know, complete a bachelor's and master's in special ed. So, you know, thank God for those opportunities as well. So contributing, working in education, we all know, you know, you don't do it to get rich. Anybody in this field tells you that you're not going to get rich <laughs> by doing that. Um, we still need to eat. We still need to pay bills. So, yes. you know, it is important to receive a salary. Yes. Um, very noble work. Absolutely. But I think this field is so rewarding. So, so, so rewarding. Um, and I'll close with this. Recently, there was uh, actually, I put it on my Facebook. Um, the Yuma Sun, the newspaper, or Bajo el Sol, they had highlighted uh, a student. So this little boy is now in elementary. Oh my goodness, I want to say approximately, I think, fourth grade, fifth grade, at the same campus where I taught. So this was back at the school district. That little boy was in my classroom for two years for developmental delays. He had an IEP, and if I close my eyes hard enough, I can bring up those memories and those wow. pictures of, you yeah. know, some of the challenges we had in the classroom. Because being a teacher is not easy. It's hard. Yes, absolutely. Yes, you go to school and you learn a, a lot of things, but it's not until you're in the classroom and you're actually doing it Thank you. that you're trying those things. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Sometimes they work, and sometimes they don't. That's why coming to these conferences are so important, because you acquire new tools yeah. and how to use them. So when that screwdriver doesn't work, you pull out a wrench. And yeah. when that doesn't work, you pull something out. And sometimes you need the big tools. Sometimes you need the power tools. But that's why continued PD is so important. Anyways, that little boy was highlighted. He was highlighted wow. in the newspaper. And I was so proud to see him being highlighted, recognized, receiving an award for it. And that was just And see, I think so that, just to close it off, um, I think that goes to show that for that person that is, you know, questioning if they should continue in this field or not, you have the potential to make that little imp that impact and have those those stories of those children that move on past your classroom and are highlighted then later. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the potential there. And maybe even if it's not highlighted in the newspaper, but we have so many of those opportunities where you, you need to, you become the champion for many of those children that you come across. So. And you know what, Marisa, it, it, it's absolutely true because you water that little plant. Yeah. And if any of you have ever had the opportunity or privilege of sitting in front of an agriculture field, which in Yuma, we have many, I invite you to come to Yuma anytime. Um, I'm so lucky and so blessed to have a beautiful panoramic view in front of where I live. We live on the outskirts of town. And right in front of my house, there's a canal and then there's harvesting fields. And what we just talked about, that little boy. So when you next time you eat a salad and you're enjoying that delicious salad, know that many hands went through that harvesting field to get that salad on your plate. So, And I see it. I see it every week, every month. Um, just the other day, there was a tractor in front of the field. So the tractor is there, you know, yeah. doing what they do with the dirt. And I can't explain all of that. So, yes, I worked in harvesting, but it was the empaque. It wasn't right. in the actual field. So, you know, they, the tractor goes out. Yeah. And then later you have the guy with the sprinkler. So that's somebody else who contributes to that. They yeah. come out. They set up the sprinklers. They take care of the sprinklers. Then later you have the crew that comes out. And they, you know, plant there's, the seeds. There's so many layers um, yes. to this topic. To this yep. topic. Yep. So that's it. I'm, I'm really hoping that our listeners just can grasp the, the tone of this. You know, not just for Hispanic or Latino Heritage Month. Although that's lovely to highlight our culture. Yeah. Um, and you know our families but you probably d deal with a variety of different types of family that look differently um, and next time you are working uh, with that family that has a connection with our migrant workers oh yeah you know let's let's um champion that absolutely let's champion that so thank you so much erica thank you so much for coming on i hope that wasn't too painless for you no my goodness i mean the <laughs> The emotions, it just started flooding me, taking me all the way back to those first experiences. Good. Yeah, thank I'm you. Glad. Thank you. Hopefully you found my conversation with Erika insightful, not only about the work she does with the Arizona Department of Education, but about her journey as a migrant farm worker in those communities in Arizona. We have to go beyond this Taco Tuesday theme and go deeper in our understanding of a diverse group during Hispanic and Latin American History Month. Let's not limit it to just one month. If you like listening to this and other candid podcast conversations highlighting early childhood advocates like Erica, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Share it out and give us a review on iTunes. We'd also love it if you would visit our Patreon page and consider being a contributor. Visit patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and enter Early Childhood Journeys in the search box. Contributions help sustain this now globally recognized podcast thanks to the First Teens First Champion for Children's Award I received. Don't forget to follow us on all our social media platforms or on all the social sites that matter. You can also contact me directly at marisa at earlychildhoodjourneys.com. That's M-A-R-I-S-S-A at earlychildhoodjourneys.com for questions, guests, or topic suggestions. Thank you.